15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from Peru, Brazil, Belarus, Israel, the United States, and the story of the trial and execution of Adolf Eichmann. Two COVID-related news stories coming out of Latin America. First is that The Guardian has published evidence that Peru's COVID death toll was vastly underestimated. Uh, the government review uh, has tripled the COVID death toll in the country, uh, making it the highest per capita in the world. Uh, Peru currently has a centrist uh, slash sort of neoliberal president uh, who's holding the office after years of political crisis that started in 2018 uh, that toppled the then sitting president um, and resulted in a series of caretaker presidents, some of whom held office for only several days. Uh, the revision of the COVID death toll also comes during ongoing elections. Uh, the elections will be held later this year uh, between the left-wing former teacher Pedro Castillo uh, and the daughter of the former right-wing dictator uh, Fujimori. Uh, her name is Keiko Fujimori, uh, who was also a runner-up in the previous presidential election in Peru. Uh, this election is becoming very contested uh, around issues of race and ethnicity and also now of COVID denialism and the cover-up of these massive COVID death tolls that the that the government is now admitting after external review. Uh, this election is going to be a nail biter. Uh, they are neck and neck in the polls, as Fukimori was with her previous uh, uh, contender in the previous presidential election. This is going to be a really dangerous time, uh, especially because Peru is not uh, likely to be able to vaccinate all of its population by the end of this year. Uh, and so as the uh, election becomes more contested and as things become more dangerous, uh, that kind of danger will still be present in Peru. Uh, also in Latin America, in Brazil, this is also the English language reporting coming from The Guardian, uh, there have been massive uh, protests uh, against the president's handling of COVID in that country. Uh, these are the biggest anti-Bolsonaro protests since the uh, outbreak of the COVID pandemic in Brazil. Uh, the protesters specifically hold Bolsonaro, the president, uh, responsible uh, for his handling of the crisis, arguing that he is literally criminally responsible. Uh, some of them saying that he should be flown to The Hague and put on trial for crimes against humanity. More on trials for crimes against humanity later in the CU and Health segment. Uh, at this point, nearly 60% of Brazilians want Bolsonaro impeached. Uh, but we still have to wait until 2020 for the election in Brazil, uh, in which he will likely face uh, former President Lula, uh, who was recently released uh, from prison and also had the criminal charges uh, against him dropped. Uh, this is going to be an extremely contested time for politics in Latin America uh, as the pandemic rolls on and also as these uh, right wing leaders face actual leftist opposition. Uh, this is going to be very uh, interesting and dangerous. Out of Belarus, Business Insider is reporting that President Lukashenko has banned uh, effectively all citizens uh, from leaving the country. There are some exceptions, government workers, some doctors, but essentially all citizens have been banned from leaving the country. Uh, Lukashenko and his government claim that this is because of the COVID-19 pandemic, but it comes immediately after the president's arrest of a prominent government critic uh, by forcing his flight to land. You may have seen uh, this news reported elsewhere. 
Uh, so the government forced this prominent government critic's flight to land in order to arrest him. Um, Lukashenko, the president who ordered this uh, this response to this government critic, has been the president of Belarus since 1994, uh, effectively just after the end of the Soviet era in Belarus, which was uh, originally a uh, Soviet republic in the USSR. Lukashenko's government has been responsible for abuses of all kinds, uh, disappearances, uh, physical and sexual assault, uh, all sorts of crimes against humanity, earning him the moniker of Europe's last dictator. Um, whether or not that will be the case, you know, that's a sort of like uh, uh, Fogeyama end of history type optimism. Um, you know, obviously there are probably more dictators to come, uh, but Lukashenko represents a kind of old guard Soviet style dictatorial authoritarian system uh, that much of the rest of Europe has moved past, at least uh, since the 1990s. The fact that he's continuing to operate in exactly this way, and the fact that uh, some of Belarus's neighbors, uh, like Hungary and Slovenia and Slovakia, are moving in this direction, is evidence of increasing right-wing power and the increasing uh, influence that right-wing ideologies and government's practices have, uh, even in Europe, you know, places of the world that are supposed to be uh, free from those kinds of influences since the end of the Cold War. Outside of Europe in Israel, we have a chance, the opportunity it seems, that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu will no longer be the Prime Minister of Israel. These talks are ongoing uh, as of my recording of this episode on Wednesday, uh, so it's still a little bit unsure, but there's a real chance uh, that an anti-Netanyahu coalition will be taking power, uh, ending a two-year sort of struggle stalemate uh, that resulted in a, a extremely difficult political time in Israel where Netanyahu's government was sort of uh, functioning in limbo, uh, unable to produce uh, a majority and unable to produce a budget, unable to do, uh, to produce a, you know, a normal government. Uh, an opposition coalition has been forming. Uh, it's an umbrella of centrist and right wing groups, uh, including actually some right wing uh, Muslim Palestinian uh, parties. Uh, this government, if it succeeds, would originally be led for it would be led for several years by Naftali Bennett, uh, who is an extremely right wing, uh, arguably more right wing than Netanyahu, uh, Israeli political leader. He's anti-Palestinian. He is pro-settlement. Um, he is, you know, he's an extreme right wing ideologue. Uh, this uh, coalition is not set in stone. Uh, but this would be a real crazy outcome, uh, not the least because of the really tenuous nature of this potential coalition, um, but also because it would end a period of pretty stable centrist right wing power in Israel and potentially, you know, given the prime ministership of Bennett uh, ushering in a an even more right wing uh, period of governance in Israel, uh, although that might be tempered by the centrist members of this coalition. Uh, we'll just have to see. And it really depends on whether or not this coalition actually is able to take power or not. And finally, in the United States, we have, for the first time, charges dropped uh, against a January 6th uh, coup participant. Uh, this is coming from Politico. Uh, the participant in the January 6th coup is named Christopher Kelly. Uh, he was arrested on suspicion of having invaded the Capitol building uh, along with the coup based on Facebook posts of his, you know, talking about like, we're taking our house or like, you know, get out of here, set fire to the whole thing, like that sort of stuff. You know, he's, he's a pretty standard right wing ideological, it seems. Uh, 
apparently, however, uh, the the allegation of his, you know, of his defense attorney uh, and of some corroborating evidence from other police officers uh, was that he never actually entered the building. And so just, you know, participated in the coup, I guess, from the outside, you know, all that he did was try to help and usher people into the Capitol building in order to maybe kidnap or murder sitting members of Congress and the vice president as they were counting the election results against Donald Trump, you know, which I guess is apparently not enough uh, for the United States justice system. And in any case, he was there with his brother, uh, a former NYPD officer, uh, who, as I understand it, is still uh, under investigation and pending charges uh, as one of the uh, almost 500 people uh, who have pending charges against them for their participation in the coup. Finally, going to close out this episode, uh, as I always do, with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of right-wing figures throughout history. This week, we have Adolf Eichmann, uh, who's one you might have heard of. Uh, this is Mr. Banality of Evil himself. Uh, Adolf Eichmann began his life uh, spending his childhood between Germany and Austria. Uh, he was never a good student, so he ended up attending trade school, which he did not actually graduate, uh, and ultimately joined the Austrian Nazi party in 1932. Uh, this is right before Hitler's ascension to power in Germany. Uh, after the Anschluss, after the Nazis uh, took over Austria and made it part of Germany, uh, he joined the intelligence branch of the SS, uh, which is called the SD, uh, where he did a lot of uh, anti-Masonic and then anti-Semitic uh, investigations, you know, intelligence gathering, uh, case making, um, essentially shoring up the ideological and intelligence branch uh, case uh, against these particular forces in German society. Uh, in the SD, he investigated what to do uh, with the so-called Jewish immigration question, uh, because originally the Nazi position, in addition to what are ultimately, unfortunately, in historical terms, uh, relatively normal levels of anti-Semitic violence in Eastern Europe, originally the German plan was to force or allow people of Jewish descent and uh, other people who were members of ethnic groups that the Nazi party did not consider desirable, for example, Roma, uh, to allow them to immigrate uh, to other places in the world. Uh, possibly uh, some possibilities offered were uh, in southeastern Africa or Palestine. Uh, so Eichmann was in charge of some of these investigation options, um, but remained in charge of this question, uh, this so-called question, uh, as its solutions uh, transformed from uh, supposedly voluntary immigration uh, to involuntary deportation, and finally to extermination, uh, to the construction of murder camps uh, for the people that the Nazi party did not want to be in its territory. Uh, Eichmann was an attendee and participant of the Wannsee Conference, uh, which is the conference at which uh, what the Nazis dubbed the final solution, uh, the plan for the Holocaust, uh, was finally decided upon. Uh, he was ultimately in charge of uh, a lot of logistics for the Holocaust. Uh, he oversaw transportation of people to extermination camps and to labor camps, um, uh, but was not a participant in violence himself. Uh, after the war, uh, he was captured by the United States, but used false papers uh, in order to hide himself. Uh, however, eventually his identity was, uh, was realized uh, by his captors, and so he escaped uh, during a prison work detail, uh, which he was on uh, as a prisoner of war with the United States. 
Uh, in hiding, he obtained a false passport and eventually arranged transport to Argentina uh, in 1950. Uh, so he stayed briefly in northern Germany uh, in hiding for several years. After making his way to Argentina via Genoa in 1950, uh, he originally moved to Tucumán, uh, which is a province in northwestern Argentina, uh, but finally settled down in uh, Buenos Aires, in the metropolitan area, although outside the city itself. Uh, he then established his family there, uh, had another child, and uh, did quite well, actually. He, he became a sort of regional manager for a Mercedes-Benz dealership um, and uh, auto repair shop. Uh, he lived there in Argentina for 10 years, uh, and from 1950 to 1960, until after several attempts to identify him, uh, largely uh, organized by um, volunteers, by people who were voluntarily attempting to find um, Nazis whose uh, whereabouts were still unknown. Uh, the Israeli Mossad, uh, an intelligence branch and intelligence force in Israel, captured him on the 11th of May in 1960, and they drugged him and brought him back to Israel uh, on a government plane. Uh, and then he spent nine months in jail uh, in Israel uh, as the trial against him was prepared. The trial began in 1961 and was extremely well televised. It was videotaped. It was transmitted on the radio. This was an extremely publicized trial. Uh, one of the, quote, trials of the century of the 20th century. You know, there, there's a lot of them, but this is certainly one of them. Uh, Eichmann's uh, prosecution charged him with crimes against humanity, uh, with being a member of the Nazi party, uh, with being a member of the SS, uh, for having participated in um, the architecture, the bureaucratic architecture of the Holocaust. Uh, his defense was essentially that he was just following orders. Um, this is not the origin, but one of the origins of this particular, you know, aspect of um people talking about the Nazis in the zeitgeist, you know, quote, just following orders. Uh, this was Eichmann's defense of his participation, you know, that he didn't really particularly care. You know, he wasn't a policymaker. He was just a policy implementer. Uh, his trial was covered by many observers, uh, including Hannah Arendt, uh, who coined the term the banality of evil uh, to describe Eichmann's posture and affect at the trial. Uh, she said that he was he didn't seem to be an evil man. He didn't seem to be full of contempt, uh, but neither did he seem to be full of guilt or contrition. He thought that he was just a soldier following orders, you know, a man doing his job and that he did it relatively well. After lengthy appeals and process, uh, Eichmann was sentenced to death by hanging, uh, which was scheduled for midnight on the 31st of May. 1962, but a short delay meant that it was actually carried out shortly after midnight, uh, which meant that uh, Eichmann was killed uh, by hanging on June 1st, 1962. So, Adolf Eichmann, we'll see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson's thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts, Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. Uh, if you found this podcast educational, informative, uh, interesting, please uh, share it with friends, family, and comrades. Uh, please leave a review on whatever service it is that you're listening to this podcast on. Uh, and if you found it, you know, particularly exciting, interesting, or helpful, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism, 15 minutes of fascism, all one word. All right. I will talk to you next week. Thank you.